most of our lives and careers are often a series of happy accidents, you know, and mostly happy accidents. One of my favorite quotes right now is from a Danish theologian, Kierkegaard, who says, life makes sense looking backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And so often we look back and we're like, oh yeah, that makes loads of sense. But like, we never know. I don't know what's in store for me in five years from now. I have some goals, I have some ideas, but like, I have no idea. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. I am excited to have Stephen Shedleski on the phone, on the phone, on the podcast today. And you actually like the name shed which as a man i think that's a great name how did that manifest did someone give you that did you make that a marketing thing what was that well f- first of all we are not on the phones we are on the <laughs> on the microphones what why as a man well i think a shed i i have a shed which i showed you my okay. yard i didn't show you the, the shed sure. out there but that's that's something that i take pride in and clean it and you know even the lawnmower makes it dirty all the time but there you yeah, go. There you go. And I, I, I never thought I'd be so proud of my little lawn that we have here out front of my house in Toronto, <laughs> but I am. Though there is a company called Steve's Shed, I don't own it. Um, <laughs> but it's simply because of my complicated last name, first four letters, Shed. And so both my siblings and I went to an overnight summer camp and we were all called one derivation of Shed, Sheds, Shedzy, list goes on. So <laughs> I personally don't like the name Steve for me personally. I don't identify as a Steve anymore. Um, right. My mom can call me Stevie, but I either go by Steven or Shed amongst friends. So I like Shed. There you, there you go. Well, you are taking the charge in corporate culture. And again, I, I, I think it's, I was going to try and get fancy with the opening of this podcast. And I thought, you know what? You did get mentored by someone who is worthy of talking about, and now you've built your own thing and we'll get there. But I think we should back up and paint a picture for the listener of who you've worked for or worked with and what you've built together with that person. And then we will parlay into uh, what you're doing now. But back us up for you know maybe 15 years ago as you kind of morphed into the new role. Sure, absolutely. Um, my career has been in many instances and even my life i think if most of us are honest most of our lives and careers are often a series of happy accidents you know and mostly happy accidents one of my favorite quotes right now is from a danish theologian kierkegaard who says life makes sense looking backwards but it must be lived forwards and so often we look back and we're like oh yeah that makes loads of sense but like we never know. I don't know what's in store for me in five years from now. I have some goals. I have some ideas, but like, I have no idea. So yeah. So um, I ended up going to business school at Western University at the Ivy School of Business, which I loved, had a great experience. Uh, always gravitated toward leadership development, organizational development and behavior. My first full-time job out of biz school was with PetroCanada turned Suncor and the rotational management program in downstream. So it was gas stations and convenience stores and car washes and stuff like that. Not that I was particularly passionate about the industry, but the term leader was in the title, like leadership development. I love that. 
Um, I neglected to ask them how they defined the term leadership, because as it turns out, there's no standard definition, though I think there should be. And my definition of leadership is more around caring for people and and service orientation, which I think was a part of it, um, but not the whole story. And um, my first day at that job ever, a thousand people were let go post-merger. And so I was the young whippersnapper walking in as many more people were walking out boxes in hand. And I had this like very tumultuous first career experience of seeing the folks around me in tons of uncertainty, um, waiting for their pink slip to arrive next, seeing far fewer leaders than I had wished um, showing up with transparency and mm. loyalty and fighting for their people. There were a lot more leaders who weren't being as transparent or who weren't being vulnerable about what they did or didn't know. Um, so it was a really interesting first career experience. Sort of fast forward, I fell out of love with my career very early, which was terrifying, you know, and we are a species of comparison. So I look at my friends who are doing well and this, that, and the other, and I'm like questioning the choice that I made and questioning my own motivation and questioning the career that I want to build. And, and in that sort of inquiry, I came across and was introduced to Simon Sinek's work. And a friend of mine shared his TEDx talk, the How Great Leaders Inspire Action, the, the circles one, the golden circles start with why. And just right time, right place. I started sharing his message to anyone who would listen. I went to a event in downtown Toronto to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak. And Simon spoke just before him, unbeknownst to me. Um, wow. And the friends that I was at, that event with, you know, Simon was on like the event magazine cover and it's like, it's your boy. Like it's the person that you're like sharing his stuff already. <laughs> and so it was right time, right place. I mean, and Simon, I describe as, as one of my orators, like he puts into words, I think for many people, the type of world we want to live in a more inspired, safe and fulfilled world. So right time, right place, bunch of elbow grease, guile, and networking. Um, I ended up becoming the fourth person to join Simon's team, which was back in 2000, late 2011, early 2012. Did the Start With Why podcast, which is an amazing experience. First person to do Simon's social media that wasn't Simon. So I really had a chance to study and learn from him how to communicate. And you, know, you communicate with why, how, and what. Um, and in that order. And had a chance to build an organization in his image and in his likeness and in his message for many years. Um, and it was an amazing ride, amazingly fulfilling. I'll pause there. There's sort of a, the next bit of, of the story and in, in uncovering my own work. But yeah, um, an amazing 10 years. And I still do share some of Simon's message and, and work with his with Well, I think many... Many people might know it, but for listener, if you don't know Simon Sinek or the start with why sort of philosophy shed, can you try and give us a, a mental diagram of what the three circles look like and the, the questions that kind of go with it, just so we got a bit of a backdrop? Sure. Yeah. So this is the, the, the foundation of Simon's work, which came from a place where he lost his own motivation for what he was doing. Um, and he knew what he was doing. He knew how he did it different or better than his peers or, or or competition, but he couldn't clearly articulate or even know why he was doing it. And no matter how good he was at doing the thing, he lost his own sense of purpose, direction, and inspiration. And so he sort of stopped everything that he was doing 
took some time to figure out, well, what is my why? Um, and for him, it's to inspire. It's to inspire people to do the things that inspire them so that together we can change our world for the better. That's what orients him. And then he only started doing work that he felt would help bring that cause to life in line with his values and how he operates at his best as well um, in keeping things simple and finding the silver lining and like all of his guiding principles. But that was sort of the birthplace of this amazing journey and ride that he's been on of of writing a book start with why you know many well-known ted talks and he's gone on to write other books leaders eat last um the infinite game is his most recent and my personal favorite of his i kind of describe it as his greatest hits album plus some really good bonus tracks um, <laughs> and, he, and he uses game theory finite and infinite games to point out that life relationships career business are all infinite games but too many of us are trying to win a game that has no finish line Ah, um, love it. Which is brilliant content and really good. So yeah, so Simon is a, a beacon and a stand for leaders and organizations living and leading with greater purpose and clarity um, and greater values and better cultures. Can you bookend that with an example of the Apple diagram that he talks about? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I like using a, a different example because okay, it's good. fun. Let's so um the example that I often use is, you know, because an organization can define itself in its identity or even in its marketing by what it sells. So an organization could say, um, we sell uh, toys. We believe in encouraging fun and creativity in people of all ages. And the question is, who am I talking about? And you could say Mattel, you could say Lego, you could say, you know, list goes on. But if I start from the inside out and I say, with everything we do, we believe in inspiring and developing the builders of tomorrow. We do so by encouraging fun and creativity in people of all ages. We happen to make toys. Who are we talking about? Lego. Yeah. Okay. Lego, wow. Right. And I could even go more specific and say we sell plastic toy building blocks or one of the world's largest toy manufacturers, whatever it might be. But it's their purpose, their why of inspiring and developing the builders of tomorrow. And now mm -hmm. the fun piece is you look at Lego from the outside looking in, they make all sorts of stuff. They make plastic toy building block, but they also have a TV show with Will Arnett. My kids love and, it. My kids and, love and, it. And yeah, you know, makers. Uh, <laughs> and they have, uh, you know, Batman movies with Will Arnett as the voice of Batman. In 2018, Lego sold 500,000 pairs of men's boxers, you know, and they have theme parks and they have rest, like they have video games, all this stuff. Um, and from the outside in, you're like, what? This company has no discipline or clarity. But from the inside out, it's like, of course they do. Everything they do is to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow. And when you or, or I or anyone puts on their Lego underwear in the morning, you feel pretty good about what's possible for that day, both with our you know, minds, heart, hands, whatever it might be that we can create in that day. Um, and so that's one of my favorite examples is an organization in defining itself and how it communicates and lives and leads and operates from the outside in of that golden circle of that why, how, what bullseye. From the work you're doing now, uh, what would you say to listener, so for listener to identify themselves as missing the why? They know how to do it. They know what they're doing. But what are some things where that listener could ask their, themselves? Or do you have some tools or tips for that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know what you do, you know how you do it better or different than others, but for what reason, for what purpose, 
What is it that you want for others to feel or experience because they do business with you? Um, what is it that you want for people in the world, whether they do business with you or not? Um, when have you felt most alive? What are the most successful client engagements? What are the least successful? When have you felt most fulfilled as a leader? When have you felt least fulfilled as a leader? And so when finding sort of the, the common threads between these stories, there, you know, a pattern will emerge that is sort of the undercurrent of it all. Um, so for me personally, my why, which guides everything that I do in my life and career and business, it's to engage with people in meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. Um, I, I love engaging in conversation. I love this. And for me, when it's meaningful, when it's beyond shallow um, and meaningful to me could be you know, the depths of depths and the hardest of conversations or light and funny and just enjoyable. Um, you know, I care about connection. I care about intimacy and I care about fulfillment. I care about people finding and using their strengths and contributing to something bigger than themselves. So that guides everything that I do. Um, you know, I care about human beings getting along and, you know, being peaceful and, and, and connecting um, as opposed to a, a lot of what we're seeing going on in the world today. So, yeah, those are some questions and just an example for me of what my why is and how it guides how I conduct myself as a friend, as a human, as a parent, as a father, uh, and as a professional. Yeah, I think we see it in a different light. Same theme, uh, you know, recently worked with a client who achieved his house, it's worth over 4 million. And his, uh, his comment was, I sort of, you know, the first couple months sat back and thought, is this it? Like my whole life, I've been aspiring to build this thing that could have helped me afford this house that was this big, important thing to me. And now I'm kind of going, now what? It's a moment of being quite scared and saying, yeah. I don't really know, you know, again, it's revenue goals, increase my revenue 20% a year. It's like, well, for how long and forever? <laughs> yeah. And I think, that does, you know, dovetail in, into some of the work we coach people on. I'm saying like, well, to be successful in life, you got to work hard. How hard? Yeah, I don't know. It's like really effing hard forever. Well, it's like, well, that doesn't work very well. And you mentioned at the start of the podcast, you just never know in life. You have a plan and guess what? Yeah. <laughs> like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until I'm punching you in the face. And so- if life is kind of coming forward at you and you're not sort of at least loose in your approach in sort of being flexible or true to your values and able to sort of use that. So I guess, thank you for showing yours as an example to get us kind of to the next thing I want to talk about, which was- well, I can I can just, a couple of things just to add in here before you go there, if I can. Awesome, sure. So, so the purpose of business is not to grow. Um, purpose of business is not to grow. What is it for then? The purpose of business is to deliver some value and growth is evidence that you're generating value. Growth is evidence. Growth is a byproduct. You know, growth is what you offer resonates and people want more of. Um, for anyone who says my why is, you know, you could say your why is, is personal development or growth and helping the people around you grow as human beings. But to say that, you know, what's the quote that any business that simply exists to make a profit is a poor business. 
that like the only thing that growth grows for growth sake in our human existence is cancer. That's it. And so for you to define the why of a company to grow, no, like the why of a company should be to deliver value to folks. The question is, what is that value? Um, you know, and if you stripped away all sort of human possession, what's the thing that's most important to you? So long as you have enough food, shelter, whatever it might be. I was going to say life, but yeah, yeah, air and water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to highlight that, you know, growth for the sake of what and what value are you delivering to others, both inside of the organization um, for employees and those who show up and serve and work, as well as the clients or customers or end users that you serve as well. This is not where I was going, but I think we're going to go here because it's, uh, I think you're bringing up a good point of success. What is success? Uh, really over talked about thing because it's so unique for everyone, but it's, yeah, that's fine. There can be podcasts and whatever, but for the person defining their own journey, do you have, you know, again, you coach people on this, like what would be a, a key question or exercise to ask themselves to, to get realigned or to start a transformation to something different. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right, Dustin, that success is in the eye of the beholder. So like for me, is there a financial component to my success? Absolutely. But it comes to a point because first mm. and foremost, I define myself as a father and as a husband and as a son and as a brother and as a friend. And so though I love my work and I care about my work a lot um, and I travel a lot for my work, that's hard because it takes me away from my job at home, uh, physically at least. And so for me, there's a, like, I don't want to be on the road more than 75 to 100 days of the year tops, like tops. Um, which is like what I'm doing right now. I don't want to travel more, which means I get to be creative. Ooh, what are the other ways that I can bring my work to life, which doesn't require that I physically have to be there? You know, we're having this conversation. You're in Kelowna, I'm in Toronto. We're not in the same studio, though it would be fun. And as well, what are some things that we can create that we put a lot of effort into, but I don't have to show up live to make it happen? Online courses, digital products, so, um, so yeah, success is in the high of the beholder. So some fun questions is, you know, what would you like the end of your life to look like? What would have happened? Who's around you, you know? And for some reason, when I was struggling and toiling away at that first job post that post merger company at Suncor, and I was like, this is not what I want to be doing. Um, I asked two questions. I really admired and look up to my grandfather. And I went, what was he doing at this point in his life? The answer was he either was in um, a prisoner of war camp as a Polish soldier behind enemy lines in Berlin, or he was hiding in cornfields and farms trying to save the lives of seven people around him. And I went, okay, I think I can take some risk for all the sacrifice he made to give me and his two sons and my family a shot at life, it gave me just a bit more courage and boldness to be like, I, I got to make the most use 
um, of this life, not from a personal gain, but from a service and fulfillment point of view. And then the other is I thought of how do I want my life to be when I'm not working or mm -hmm. when I'm near the end? And for some reason, I just had this vision of me with my children and my children's children outdoors, in nature, playing, there's sunshine, we're all happy, we're getting along. And as I look at it, it's kind of what my parents have now, which is beautiful, um, and my in-laws as well. So those were like anchors of success for me, mm -hmm. um, uh, which have very little to do with what I do professionally. But that's sort of like a vision that helps me which guides how I show up in my career. There are things far more important than my career because my kids now are eight and five. And in 10, 15, 20, 30 years, I want to have, knock on wood, I want to have an amazing relationship with them. Um, that's far more important to me than anything career-wise. So I, I think we, we have to figure out what are our values? What's most important to us? What's more important to us than money? What are we willing to sacrifice money for in order to live or bring to life? And I think the answers behind those questions are are telling and meaningful. Chad, you've done well in life. You're doing well in life. What are your thoughts on sort of pre-retirement? You're too interested in your career to retire, but then- mm -hmm. Your job, you likely could do it for a long time. So you don't necessarily have to retire, but could you still see success in traveling like 60 days? <laughs> and so it's like, and, yeah. and make income, like, is it still enough? Or is it like, I'm where I'm, I'm not questioning what you're doing. What I'm doing is trying to gauge how people make decisions about what's enough. And I, yeah. again, we counsel lots of blue collar people and and that's a hardworking thing. And it's hard to get off that treadmill to go like, well, you know, you're a speaker. And so it's like, you have to go to places to speak. So that's how you get paid. So it's like, could you speak 25 days less and still make okay money? Or is that what you're trying to figure out? So I'll be very personal and upfront and open. I've had some changes because just recently I've truly started my own business and I've actually treated it as a corporation now where I have an employee and we draw salaries, you know, whereas previously I would speak and it would all come to my sole proprietorship. Right. And so the more I did, the more I earned and it was like, go, go, go. Well, now it's a little bit different because now I'm funding a company, a company that should be self-sufficient and should pay its people well. So it's now a little bit different because it's a little less rat racy and more there are bigger questions on how much do we need um i'm doing more and more of my own work which comes with higher rates and higher fees for the time being mm -hmm. um i also look at so the way that i describe our business is high touch medium touch low touch so high touches show up in person which should come at a premium unless it's something i really want to do for whatever reason um, you know, ethical or service oriented or whatever. There's medium touch, which is, you know, pants are optional, which is doing, I'm wearing pants right now, but yeah. they're, they're track pants. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, they're very comfortable. Upstairs uh, looks good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Part, party on or party on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I can do a bunch online live. So that's medium touch where I still have to show up live 
but I could give a keynote in Romania tomorrow and still wear the same pants with a mustard stain on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's low touch, which is what are the digital products, online courses, things that we can create that can scale that we have to put a considerable amount of upfront energy in and creating and a funnel and marketing because you can make the world's best online course. But if you have no one who's buying yep. it, you have the most underutilized world's best online course. Um, so that's how I view the business. But I think there are many considerations. I mean, A, I hope there's demand for me and my work. B, I have to monitor my health and take care of my health because travel is hard on the body. And how many years can I keep doing this in the way that I'm doing this? Or what are the habits that I need to change to give me longevity and health span, not just lifespan? Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I I don't have like a 55 or 65 and I'm going to retire. You know, I look forward to when my wife's work life shifts and changes a little bit because she's on a rigid sort of not uberly flexible schedule right now. And I look forward to when she can join me and travel with me more. And when my family can come with me a little bit more, but it's the type of thing that I, much like my father, I will retire <laughs> when either I, well, pretty much when I don't have the faculties to keep doing it physical <laughs> or mental, you know, is it, but, is it great? Uh, mindset yeah. uh for a retirement plan because <laughs> yeah. you don't need to save as much if you keep your body you spend more upfront keeping your body right then you can actually work a bit longer and if you start two days three days a week when you're 60 to 70 and you're doing something you like and you're making 100 grand or 80 grand it, that helps a lot yeah well and it's also what do human beings want from work i think we want to be treated like human beings, one, um, we want to be compensated fairly and equally as merit to the work and the value that we're creating. Um, purpose and meaning and fulfillment, yes. And flexibility and autonomy, which is a big hot topic now in terms of the return back to office conversation. Because um, to mandate folks to have to come back four or five days a week, like that pushes that flexibility autonomy one a little bit. Or, or or a lot. What are you seeing in the landscape with that one? Like, what is the real world feedback on that? Uh, not great. <laughs> and <laughs> Toronto's know? probably latent with it over there. Yeah. And I, I mean, there are some clients that I work with that are big, large corporations that are going through four or five day mandates back. I mean, how many people love a mandate in general? Right. You know, so... I'm a personally a big believer that the characteristics of the work should dictate where it takes place from. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge advocate of human connection. Um, but like, do we really need to go to the office to be on eight hours of, of, of zoom meetings? Like really? Right. You yeah. Know? I think we can afford to be strategic with and how awesome is it for someone from your team to, do the things they need to do as a parent from 1030 to 1130 in the morning, should they need to, and not mm -hmm. have to hide from work, just be upfront, you know? So I'm a believer in flexibility. And in some instances, you know, if you drive a bus, it's not yet self-driving. So you kind of got to show up. Yeah. If you're a healthcare professional and you're performing surgery for the time being, you got to show up. Like there's certain jobs, lawn, like list goes on. We're like, yeah you show up because that's the nature of the work. Um, and if you're leading folks, 
that it's in the nature of their work that they have to be there. If you're leading them, you should probably be there too. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm seeing that a lot. I mean, and the conversation is like, hey, focus on that which is within your your control. You cannot change a corporate policy, but you do have influence over where you work. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I think it's- So you can't change the policy, but you can vote with your feet if you need. Yeah, I think you mentioned no one likes a mandate, uh, but then they were mandated to leave or go out. So then it's like, yeah, it's messy. Yeah, it's messy. I mean, but but listen, every organization can make the choices that it wants to make, and it must live the repercussions of those choices as well. Yeah. So and it's you're allowed. Yep. Totally. It's just it's again, if you got your fixed mindset, it's like life changed. At the end of the day, if the results are getting done, then does it really matter? And and hopefully you can maintain the corporate culture. I am seeing a bit of an affinity back to face-to-face -face for some yep. to, to just get, you know, whether it's reduced. Um, but you, you mentioned a good point. And I want to circle back to it because as entrepreneurs, we have a lot of good ideas and we have even more great ideas, especially because <laughs> we share them with ourselves. And we just kind of manifest or ruminate. It's like, that's such a good idea. But at the end of the day, you need to market. Mm -hmm. And so back to, to Simon, I think that would be good to, to sort of see that. Because I remember seeing that TED Talk when it almost first came out. I remember getting the book. And it's like, okay, I wonder how long this guy's actually been talking about stuff. Or if he just came up with an idea, sent it to a promoter of TEDx. And they mm -hmm. got him on and he just went viral. And then all of a sudden he's super successful, got a team of people. That's usually not how it goes. And no. so how was the engine built or what was sort of the thought process in twofold question? I'm throwing a lot at you about That's but fine. testing if you have a good idea. And then second mm -hmm. of all, when you have something you're passionate about, actually getting that in enough people's eyeballs that you can make a living from your business idea. So is it the quote, is it from Henry Ford? There's a quote around um, vision without without execution is, is hallucination. Or it sounds like a Napoleon Hill, but maybe it's Henry Ford. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody. So you can have as many ideas as you like, even great world-changing ideas. And if they stay an idea, you're successfully floating in the clouds and nothing happens. So, I mean... I both have general thoughts and then there's like the case study of Simon in, in particular. I mean, Simon admits that he won the internet lottery a few times. Yeah. So he wasn't even the one asked to do that TEDx talk. It was a colleague of his. And she said, you don't want me, you want this guy. Because Simon is the visionary and the orator, right? right? Um, I think he was working on the book at that time. And he had been giving like a 60-minute version of that talk or even a 90-minute version of that talk. And they said, you had you have 50 minutes. So he just, he just crunched it. And anytime he didn't know what to say, he would just repeat, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. I think he said it eight that, times. That's what talk, he did say. More. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he just kept saying, he kept saying it. Um, but what happens is when you articulate a vision or an, or an idea and you can do it at scale um, or reach people, all of a sudden people are attracted to that idea and then bring their genius. So Simon is a visionary without executors. 
you know, yeah. not much happens. So there were a few amazing people who joined him very early on and over the years kept joining him both inside of his team and beyond and fans and sort of champions of this movement to create a more inspired, safe, fulfilled world took his ideas, took his vision and, and acted upon it and brought it to life, both in their communities and their companies or organizations, as well as on his team. Um, so ideas without execution are is simply hallucination. And so you need not only good ideas, you need um, people who make those ideas better and realistic and then can execute upon them and then market them as well. So I think it's all three of ideas, execution, and marketing. Um, and to let people really rock in the lane that they should rock in. Okay. It's team. Who, so in, in, if you got 100%... Is this a percentage? So 100%, let's put money on it. 100% of the money that's made from the ideas goes to the team because it's a group. So the person with the vision, mm -hmm. how much do you think the person with the vision or is there a way to like, because again, you think if listener has staff and they're like staff are kind of like climbing the ladder and they're going, well, this wouldn't get done without us. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the idea wouldn't be brought up without the vision. And so there's this thing of what's fair and what's not. And you talk about corporate culture and, and maintaining that because you do like two people, three is a bigger magnification than one person, you know, running fast for not very long. Yeah. If you want to go fast, you stay alone. If you want to go far, you go with the team and you know, all that analogy. But I think of that for entrepreneur as they, they're growing or the, the team's building, that is a thing that crosses their mind of like, well, I do make a lot more than everyone else or the leader does. It's like, well, okay, well, let's start sharing that. Well, how much do you share? Mm -hmm. Well, so, I mean, I'm going through a version of that right now because at present I'm 100% owner of my company. Um, I self-funded the company with seed money from my own savings. Yeah. But yet 18, 19 months ago, I brought on a head of operations who I pay a salary, a good salary, you know, fair salary. Um, actually pay myself a lower salary than him at present. Realistic, yeah. Because that's what the business needs and that's what's right for the business long-term. I could take every, I'm in every right to take every ounce of income out of that company. I'd pay a huge tax bill and then what would I do, you know? But I want to do this for at least another 15 years, if not more. Um, I also have other ideas of things that I want to create and fund and potentially invest in. Um, sort of the next thing I know I want to work on is my next book, which will probably be in a separate hold co because it's a very different venture. Um, and it's the right thing to do to separate it. Um, and it's, I'm going to write, I'm going to narrate my grandfather's life story as told by my point of view. And I think it should become a movie. So I'm just going to leave it over there. Right. Yeah, love And it. be very open with how and what we're funding. And my head of operations who, you know, on paper is not yet a business partner, but I treat him as such. We're very transparent and open on how we're going to deal with that. So yeah, I mean, ultimately the owners make the call. Um, but for me, this isn't a get rich quick scheme. This is a have impact and have longevity. And so 
I will take what I need from the corporation for me and my family to be fine. Um, and if there are decisions that we make around where or how we want to live that are aligned with our values <laughs> and we need funds, I'll transparently do what we need to do and I'll pay the appropriate taxes on dividend or whatever it needs to be, you know? So that's how I approach it, which I think is conservative and may not be everyone's style. Um, but yeah. I think you, uh, you've recently written a book and that's part along the same lines as what you're talking about now. People look at books as like, wow, 1 million books sold at 24.95. That's 24 million. Like it isn't quite that easy. So no, no. help again. <laughs> so, I, I that's also to... not the right math, but carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so having a book myself and sort of going through it, I would share it, you know, as a, as a close off the podcast, because it is an interesting investment when you tell people about, oh, you're going to spend X amount. So in your book, did you map out a budget or have you just sort of built it, written it, had it edited, and now you've got your total cost and then you hope to use that book for some sort of return or are you going to sell them or what's, what's the plan with the book? Yeah, great question. So yeah, I just came out with a book um, October 3rd, my first book called Speak Up Culture, When Leaders Truly Listen, People Step Up. Um, and so my first decision was, how do I publish the book? So there's the spectrum. On one side, sort of on the far left here, there's self-publishing. On the other end of the spectrum, there's traditional publishing. And then in the middle, there's this thing called hybrid publishing, which is what I ended up going with. So self-publishing is you pick everything from soup to nuts and you fully self-fund it. You set up your own publishing company and you have to do everything from design, exterior, interior, picking font size, paper thickness, write the thing, edit the thing, you know, print the thing, figure out detail, like retail distribution, like, wow. And I had seen some friends and folks go through that. And the sort of answer I got is unless you're Seth Godin, d don't do it. Um, <laughs> then there's traditional publishing. And what I sort of came to with traditional publishing is you only do traditional publishing if you get an offer that you can't refuse. Right. Right. And for me, you know, I had a decent pedigree. I worked with this author for more than 10 years, but like, I wasn't a retired Navy SEAL fighter pilot ex-CEO of Disney or NFL <laughs> football player. I was some dude, you know, with a decent social following and a decent pedigree that, you know, would likely lead to some success or book sales. But I sort of figured I'll probably get a five, you know, high five figure book deal, um, which is not anything to trip over, but it's not a an obvious decision. I've also heard nightmare stories because when a traditional publisher buys your book, I mean, A, you got to create a book proposal. You got to shop it with a literary agent. Then you got to shop it with publishing houses. It can take time. And as well, a publisher is buying you as the product to fit in their catalog of which they have influence over the specs of said product <laughs> from a creative and editorial point of view. And I've heard nightmare stories of first-time authors hating the covers of their book or not writing the book that was in them, but writing the book that their publisher had bought. So there's this other model called the hybrid model, of which there are a few really great hybrid publishers. One of them is mine. I'm biased, but one of them is mine. Page two out of Vancouver, close, close to where you are. Um, and instead of being the product, you're the client. Now, it does mean, though, that you need to pay for it. So... 
I sort of, I knew roughly how much it was going to cost me. Um, fortunately, I'm extroverted, so I speak to think. <laughs> and so I sort of committed to, I'm going to give, I'm going to do work on this, keynotes and workshops as I'm doing it. And so as I was actually paying for it as I was doing it. Smart, yeah. Both from savings and then both from work that I was actively doing on it, which is not everyone's circumstance. But I'm now still treating it as a separate line item with fixed and variable costs and treating keynotes and workshops and high, medium, low touch uh, revenue as separate line items. Yeah. And seeing, you know, we have to sell 10,000 books at full price to make our money back, sure. which we intend to do, you know, and we've sold about 9,000 so far. So well, that's, that's how I, I view it. I appreciate that story again. And not uh, some people may want to write a book and listener, if you're doing that, I definitely encourage you to check out Shed's book and do a little research. Feel free to ask me. It is a process and you do need to think about it before you uh, embark on it. Cause it's a big writing. It is about 25, 30% of the work that needs to be done. So Shed, thanks for coming on the show today. Where can people find uh, your information? Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you online? Uh, yes, for the time being, I think I'm the only Stephen Shedletsky in the world. So I'm a very easy Google search away <laughs> if you can find a way to spell my last name. Um, but you can learn more about the book and my work at speakupculture.com as well as shedinspires.com. And a, a joy to join you. Awesome, Shed. I will for sure to check it out. And thanks again for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, Go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy. 